Along with individual experts, Surgeon Masters brings you life improvement strategies in 10 minutes. These proven principles and strategies are easy to learn and can be applied immediately, allowing you to practice your best. Here's your host, Jeff Smith. On this episode of the Surgeon Masters mini podcast, I have with me Dr. Julie Samora. Dr. Samora is a pediatric orthopedic hand surgeon in Columbus, Ohio, and the the medical director of quality and safety at her hospital. Welcome, Julie. Privilege to be here. Thanks so much. I had the opportunity of reading an article that you wrote, and I heard you speaking on the topic of second victim syndrome, and I thought you could share with me a little bit of how you got even interested in the subject. Sure. I would say a year ago, I had never heard the term second victim syndrome. I experienced an error. It really wasn't an error, but it was a really bad outcome of a patient that had a very simple surgery that was life altering for her. And the family was very upset with me. And it was a very heart wrenching experience that sent me into a downward spiral. And so my response to this was to sort of reach out to others to learn more if others had had a bad outcome and had families that were upset with them that were struggling emotionally with it. And doing my due diligence of figuring out what was out there, I learned this term, second victim syndrome. And for those that might not be aware of it, it's really, it actually has a lot of different definitions out there, but it was first described by Albert Wu in 2000 in the British Medical Journal. And he, it was just an editorial and he described as an intern observing a resident physician receive really universal backlash because he failed to identify EKG signs of pericardial tamponade. It eventually required emergent surgery and this news spread rapidly and the case was tried repeatedly before an incredulous jury of peers, all of whom returned a summary judgment of incompetence. And so he described this second victim as being the care provider where the first victim is the patient that had the the bad outcome. Very interesting. And so really recognizing the fact that physicians or surgeons and providing care for our patients when things don't go as planned, well, we probably feel a significant amount of remorse, but we also feel the impact of all that. Yes. I mean, and it's been described that the healthcare providers who have made a medical mistake or involved in a bad outcome, they, they feel guilt and shame and anxiety and fear. They can develop PTSD. They can have poor quality of life, not only at work, but also at home. They can quit the field. They can develop suicidality. They can have flashbacks. They can have nightmares. Surgeons can have shakiness or other uh, physical symptoms as well. And this, this can all lead to to burnout and other other effects down the road. In the the time that you've spent sort of learning from all this, both personally and, and through reading and study, what are some of the biggest take-home messages or biggest learning points, I guess I would say, that you've discovered? Yeah. So I would say that there are sort of six major steps that can be done. These six major steps have been outlined by Robertson and Long in 2017. And really the six steps are number one, support slash counseling. Number two, analyzing and learning from the mistake. Number three, openly discussing mistakes and whether that's with your loved one, with a colleague, with someone that can understand the situation. Number four, focusing on the system and not the individual or the individual error. Number five, really focusing on provider wellness. And number six, implementing culture changes at the health center level so that we don't feel victimized when these things go down. Excellent. So there's 
that in a way that list or checklist of things that, you know, each one of these plays a significant role in responding to this. Is there one or two that to you, you felt either wasn't well addressed or certainly could have done better or just something that you learned in particular in your discovery? I would say for me, and the literature supports this, that the number one best approach is really to talk to others about this, whether that's, again, with family friends, with a counselor, with a psychiatrist, with your colleagues. And that peer-to-peer support has been shown to be really beneficial, whether it's you know, in surgery or anesthesia or other fields in, in healthcare. And for me, individually, I, I spoke to every hand surgeon in town. I spoke to my colleagues at my hospital. People shared their own stories that made minds pale in comparison. And really having this open discussion made you realize that you weren't the only one. And, you know, I, we were, were taught in residency that, you know, bad outcomes can happen, but it's different when it's your bad outcome and it happens to your patient and your family and you feel personally responsible for this bad outcome. And so I would say the sort of peer-to-peer support was for me the best. I happen to have a husband who is also a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. And so he has had some bad outcomes as well. And so it's very nice to be able to talk about those with one another. We really, really understand how that works. And I would also say I was probably clinically depressed uh, last year. Of course, I didn't see anyone. And I can tell you, you know, that surgeons don't go see anybody for anything, which is not good for our wellness. But I think we need to talk about sort of our own mental wellness when things like this happen and not to have any sort of fear of seeing some um, professional folks that can actually get us back on track again. So it's interesting because you described the origin of this, where I think the historical culture, when there's a bad outcome or a adverse event of any kind, that there's a quality or improvement process that was always focused on the error and the wrong, the mistake, and over and over and over and over again. So that's kind of the historical. And what you're telling me is that the talking that we need is much more on the support level and much more on even just being allowed to talk it out in a safe space of of our peers, not an accusatory space. Of course. So, you know, the initial morbidity and mortality conference that was developed by Codman in the 1900s was really focused on individual error. And it was really a sort of shame and blame phenomenon that I would say has gone through very little change up until the past maybe five years or so. Now we're more focusing on system changes, at least most places are that are sort of having have, a, have an academic bent to them. And so trying to figure out, is there something in place in the system that contributed to that error as opposed to just individual failures. We're looking at system failures now. And I think there's still very much a focus on individual failure. I mean, if you look at your credentialing and uh, if you go to a new hospital, sort of these things follow you. If anyone ever you know, pursued a lawsuit that follows you individually. And yes, the M&M is not conducive to uh, an individual's well-being. It's good to talk about these things. But what I'm talking about is sort of outside of the traditional morbidity and mortality conference of really speaking to others not only about the specific incident, but also how you're doing from a mental health standpoint. There's so much stigma around mental health 
issues. And certainly as surgeons, we, we want to be strong and not be the one that needs any sort of help. But I would say all of us need a little help every now and again, whether it's because of a bad outcome, whether it's because you're having some family difficulties or, or someone in the, in, the, in the household is ill. There's so many things that we're juggling all at the same time that sometimes we just need some support from others. Well, that's fantastic. We need to talk. We need to talk with our peers and we probably need to talk with others who have some expertise in processing these things. Yeah. You know, what was really interesting is that when I was going through this, one of the things I did is actually give a grand rounds at our hospital about my experience and about second victim syndrome. And as I was collecting information from others to speak to this large group about second victim syndrome, I sort of got the top 10 pieces of advice. So number one is acknowledge the complication that happened. Give yourself some time to grieve. This is not a sign of weakness. It's a healthy response. As I said before, go to someone you trust. Share your story. Check your emotional state. Are you sleeping? Are you eating? Are you yelling at your significant other or kids? This event does not define you or your surgical ability. If you have a bad complication and have cases that follow that day, really have a strong inclination to cancel the rest of those cases. Call your legal team, talk to them about it sort of prophylactically before things get to that next level. Share this event with your chair or your chief or your partner, whoever's depending on your if an academic practice or a private practice, so that they're aware of this event. It's on their radar. Talk with the family, be honest, and then offer for them to get a second opinion. If something has gone awry, find someone for them to see other than you that can help get them more advice. Thanks so much, Julie. There you have it. In less than 10 minutes, this is Jeff Smith along with Dr. Julie Samora. Until the next episode of Life Improvement Strategies for the Surgeon Who Wants More. Ciao. Now, take 10 minutes and put your plan into action to practice your best.